it's been a while since we spoke on this forum. Uh, I think almost a month. So really, that yeah, long? yeah. That's how hard it is to get all of you. If uh, the amount of calls and cancellation it took, I could have even honestly got in touch with Rohan Bopanna or maybe Svetlana <laughs> Kuznetsova's manager or someone. I have to talk to my agent. <laughs> I really have to talk to my agent about this. Yeah. So yeah, there's a lot to talk, a lot to catch up. Uh, yeah, welcome everyone to episode eight for tennis with an accent and happy new year yeah happy new year we have a variety of topics that we've lined up i include some of the top players coming back and the fast four never thought possible to win a grand slam all right so it is roger federer man it's 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 orgasmic talking about about roger federer i mean we've been waiting (laughs) (laughs) we haven't talked about this guy we've been avoiding roger federer for the last i don't know four episodes and i'm telling you i've been waiting for this moment to talk about roger i mean this is our fanboy moment i remember clearly watching uh, a tennis channel match during wimbledon and uh, it was i think mary carillo who said she ran into Martina Navratilova and she was very excited because Navratilova got a chance to call her first Roger Federer match. And who are we? I mean, we're just some fanboys who do this as a hobby. Yeah. I mean, talking about Federer, even with a shared audience, whoever listens to us, is pretty excited. Yeah. And, you know, I, I, I remember this Federer moment I have to share is I went to a wedding, uh, a cousin's wedding in Atlanta. And this this wedding was happening at the same time Roger Federer was going to play his first Wimbledon final. And guess what? I skipped the wedding and watched the final. <laughs> I had to do that. Good. I mean, that's at least you have a story 13 years later to share with uh, other uh, fellow Fed fans all over the world. Um, hopefully, I mean, we have global listeners by now. So so what do you think about 2017 for Roger, realistically? Look, look uh, any question of making projections about Federer, first, let's get the disclaimer out. He had a very unfortunate year. He tasted some injuries which cut short his schedule and uh, we all were there as witnesses. What is happened that, last is, year? Is that the best thing to happen? I mean, sometimes you wonder at this age, was it a good thing to have one of those big injuries so he can get all the healing out of the way and then come back? He's going to be stronger. I mean, I don't know if it's the best thing because look what happened to Djokovic. If Federer was in 2015 form, he could have, who knows, right? You don't want to take anything away from Murray and Wawrinka. They're very deserving winners of uh, respective majors last year. But uh, that's sometime, that's how it goes. Yeah, but you know, I, I the, the person I'm scared about that makes me scared about Roger is John McEnroe, um, and I'll tell you why. Because I was a huge, huge fan of McEnroe. Still, probably ties with Federer as my my favorite player of all time. And I hope you're not a fan of his commentary. <laughs> okay, maybe. <laughs> Sorry, go ahead. Um, so, I mean, the thing is, McEnroe, when he, he took a sabbatical in 1986, um, he had a strong 84. Uh, I would say 80, 85 was uh, somewhere, somewhat mediocre by his standards. Uh, Becker and Lendl started peaking. But when he took that sabbatical and came back on the tour, he was not the same player ever again. Um, this, this is what I fear for Roger is... When he goes away, the so, game changes, new players come along, and suddenly he's not in the mix. So let me interrupt you there. I mean, uh, not challenging you, but uh, tell us about the sabbatical. What caused that? Because even I didn't follow tennis in that aspect back then. So the sabbatical was the personal reasons. Was he injured? Did he lose interest? What happened to John was obviously very different from what happened to Roger here. Um, McEnroe was the number one player and I think there was a lot of pressure on him and uh, the media was very focused on his behavior. Wasn't Lendl number one then? 
he did give up his number one in '85, okay. and I think the just the pressure of being in the top and you know in the under the glare of media. Uh, he dropped out of the tour for about six months. He got married uh, to Tatum O'Neill, um, and then came back. But the point is that kind of a layoff at this level. I'm just I'm just afraid that he might not come back and immediately be the same player. Um, just saying that it's a very similar kind of player, very gifted uh, shot maker, but there's also the younger generation coming through. Okay, fair enough. I mean, as a as a fan, uh, you can draw those parallels and feel a little skeptical what might hold for Roger. But uh, let me tell you, uh, in '86, McIndoe was on the tour for a good nine years. Uh, and Federer, on the other hand, has been the top for like close to 13 years. So I don't think anything like that will happen to Federer because he's supremely motivated. He's still playing for the right reasons. Sampras was a burnout. Safin hated travel. So a lot of people just don't like the tour because it's so international. Here from airport to airport, destination is changing. And, uh, you know, Federer is none of those. He just absolutely loves to be there. I think the one thing that's going for Roger is that yeah, McEnroe, when he was away, the game changed, right? There was there was a fitness uh, thing that happened. There was more power added to the game. I don't think there has been that kind of a change in tennis lately. If anything, I would say the best player in the game, Joker, I think his game has dropped off a bit. So there you go. There's, more, a- there's more reason to believe in this comeback because <laughs> Federer was watching and he said, man, you know, like this injury... Uh, he probably love, has a vision. No. Love, love the optimism, Sakit. Hey, he wants to play for two, three years, so why not? Uh, uh, definitely, I think uh, come Wimbledon time, if he goes, uh, if he stays injury free and uh, builds up some results, uh, he will be a factor in that period from uh, Hala to all the way to US Open. So another parallel we can draw is from Pete Sampras, right? Uh, now he didn't go away from the tour like Roger, but. Towards the end of his career, he was a much better player at the U.S. Open than at Wimbledon. Um, yeah, but U.S. Open was playing uh, pretty fast back then. It suited Sampras's game. Mm-hmm. And uh, to most people's belief, uh, Sampras was as good a U.S. Open player as he was Wimbledon. This he was very true. clutch in those uh, conditions. This is true. But I, I also think Roger played one of his best matches in the last two years at the U.S. Open in the semifinals a couple of years ago. Oh, the Wawrinka semifinal? Yeah, I mean, that that was magical to watch. And uh, what what I'm hoping, realistically, is Roger has a solid first half of the year. I, I don't think there's a whole lot you can expect coming out of the French Open. And, and we'll talk about Rafa on this okay, Hold on uh, for Rafa. Episode. Let's stick with Roger, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, so what was so magical? I know a lot of fans uh, in the same year are going gaga over the Murray semifinal. I know you have talked to me over the phone and we have discussed it in person many times that how you thought the Wawrinka match was so, pure magic. So, Roger dominated Wawrinka throughout their career, right? He was, I think, 16-0 and 0 or something like that. And then Wawrinka turns it around at yeah, some I point. I think Wawrinka got three matches on clay. One, on two, clay, yes. Yeah, so. So, so, we're talking about... So, on hard courts. They, and Wawrinka was clearly the inferior player. I, I still think he is. But the point is that Wawrinka upped his game. And now he was threatening Roger as, as, as the best Swiss player um, out there and Roger had to do something to change that equation he had to bring back his dominance and I think he found that formula Sakib because what he did was he took time away from Wawrinka right Wawrinka is a guy who takes the big swings at the ball and what Roger was doing was shortening the time of the rallies he was coming forward yeah he was not uh, allowing him to settle that's what he's saying right and it was magical because that was perfect execution of his strategy because Wawrinka yeah. had no idea how to how to handle that, yeah, that I, I agree I think that match from pure statistical point of view is brilliant even though the Murray match at uh, Wimbledon was more 
brilliant from highlights point of view because Roger was serving so many aces and what close to 81% in the first serve. Yes. So, yeah, I mean, the Wawrinka match, uh, even I was watching this highlights with Stan, uh, I think Roland Garros, when they're going, I think, from the back, back of the court, uh, Wawrinka somehow neutralizes the Federer backhand more than most players. It looks like an uh, inferior shot. It does. And and that's the thing. I mean, but this is something Wawrinka can do to the best, as we can see even, you know, against Djokovic this year. Um, what's amazing is Roger realized that he had reached the point in his career where he couldn't go toe-to-toe uh, with Wawrinka from the baseline. And he reinvented himself against this one specific player, I think. No, I think you're right. Even the whole Sabre attack uh, in that phase was, his US Open was brilliant. It's just... Uh, again, as a fanboy, I wish he had not revealed Sabre in Cincinnati <laughs> because those two lobs by Djokovic were so clutch in the final. Right. If the Sabre was introduced then and with those uh, vocal 15,000 or 20,000 New York fans, man, we are desperate. <laughs> so, I mean, as a fan, I have to say this. We we have to look forward to this year. Uh, I know I started off saying I'm a little afraid, but... I'm I'm waiting for every single Roger Federer match to be an experience for me because I, I don't know how many more of these we have. Uh, I mean, he wants to play for two or three years more. Uh, but my sense is this is the year, really, if he has to break through at a slam. And I want to savor every moment that, that, that I can get with Roger. I mean, Roger, the tennis player, is pretty visionary. So if he took the time off and it's pretty calculated, uh, he didn't... Uh, want to waste his energy uh, with the subpar health going into New York and then the fall season. So he gave up so many streaks, even qualifying for the World Tour Finals, missed his second major in a year. So I think it's exciting because what's happened since Roger left? A couple of interesting things at the top. Djokovic is slightly not as dominant. And even though as dominant Murray is, most Federer fans will take a dominant Murray any day over Djokovic if that's the toughest foe you have to go through to win uh, number 18. And then there's not much has changed. Raonic and Nishikori and these guys are just trading places. Yeah, I so, mean, think about this. I mean, if, if you think about the off-season, the beauty of this is everybody goes away and they're doing their own thing. They all have time to reassess. Djokovic is wondering, you know, what happened towards the end of the year. And I'm, I'm sure he is working on something new uh, in terms of either his retooling his mindset or if it's about his game. Same thing with Roger. Same thing with Rafa. It'll be interesting because they're all coming back from something, except maybe Andy Murray. And it, for me, it's it's a very the very first three or four months will tell us a lot about how the year is going. Uh, I think yeah, to me, Murray is still the slight favorite at the Open, even though Djokovic has been uh, the most consistent champion uh, down under. It's between those two. Uh, any, anyone else would, to me, would be a huge upset if anybody else sneaks in a win in Melbourne. So Roger is not in that mix. My expectations are just come out of this, you know, scar-free, injury-free, maybe uh, cause an upset, maybe hopefully reaches second week. That'll be awesome. And then, yeah, of course, of course anything can happen once you're... One of the interesting things that'll, you know, that'll be is the draw, right? So, Roger, where does he end up in the draw? Does he end up playing a Joker or a Rafa early in early in the, you know, the tournament? Is that a good or a bad thing? I mean, these are the things I think I, I'm kind of... Thinking about, I, I'm not quite sure how to, how to... Is it a good thing, for instance, if uh, Roger plays Djokovic in the early rounds? It cannot be any worse than meeting, you know, later in the draw because uh, Roger has beaten Novak only once in a major final and most of Roger's wins have come in either semifinals or the fourth round in Australia in 2007. 
So, yeah, why not? Uh, let's uh, maybe play him earlier, say round of 16 or quarterfinals. But the way I see this is uh, at this stage in his career, Roger needs more conditions in his favor than uh, when he's playing these top guys. And unfortunately, most of these tournaments are becoming night tournaments. A Roger Djokovic match is guaranteed to be uh, at night. Yeah, that's true. Because during the uh, day, the ball is flying a little more and it has... Uh, look, at, look at Indian Wells. Federer's played Djokovic there three times the last four or five years and that's the slowest hard court. And every time the match is competitive because it's in day. Roger's holding his own on a slower hard court. So even somewhere like Australia where the courts have quickened in the last few years. But again, that's like making excuses, but uh, no shame there. I think Federer is clearly extending his twilight years. And people can say he's as good as he he was in 2006 or seven, not even close confidence-wise when you start reinventing. But he's as gifted and his uh, arsenal is so deep that he'll make you pay even at age 35. But my concern is uh, it's all about the conditions. What about his game that you that that he should improve from what you saw towards the middle of last year, right? I mean, so we're talking about the mental aspects. Is that the only thing? I mean, does he have to get better, even better now on his on his backhand? Were there certain areas of weaknesses? I mean, who are we to to be honest uh, to give any advice on what he should improve? But as a fan, you're seeing things. Oh, as a fan, I mean the. Uh, the only regret is against like most Federer fans. He gets those break points and he doesn't convert those. So <laughs> that's so that is a mental thing then. Is it mental? I mean, yeah, probably it's mental. But sometimes it's just like going for too much, and Djokovic shrinks the court, and sometimes you just you know start playing too close to the lines. But yeah, I think just keep doing more what he's doing with Lubicic. It's it, an extension. It's, it's of- funny. It's funny. We were watching the uh, the video, um, the practice match he was playing against Luca Pui the other day. And a friend of ours commented that even in the practice match, Roger's still not breaking enough. Right? Yeah, that, that's good, yeah. I mean, uh, let's not give everything away in practice. Let let young Pui come away thinking, <laughs> you know, this should be competitive. But, uh, yeah, I think uh, my big assessment is and big hope. Everything is a disclaimer here. If uh, he's injury-free, then we can, you know, we can hope for a great 2017. Call the four slams for me. What, 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 what would you, where do you think you're going to see him in each slam? Uh, that's, that's that's too tough. I mean, uh, on a dime, you're asking uh, to predict <laughs> how he's going to play in September when we haven't even seen him play. Yeah, I mean, that's the beauty uh, of predictions. Uh, I, I think, so for me, um, I'm trying to be realistic and I, I go back to the McEnroe parallel in the past. I think Roger's going to have a strong Wimbledon or a strong US Open, but not both. Um, as far as the Australian and the French Open go, I think it's really about setting expectations for fans like us. Um, he is going to have some tough losses in the beginning of the year and hopefully he'll break through. Um, but a lot of this depends on that one man, Novak Djokovic. Hmm, fair enough. Okay, I'll uh, take a rain check for the prediction. I'll probably chicken out and give my predictions uh, maybe an episode during Australian Open. But I would say my wish is still if he can win one more. What more. about Australian Open? How is he going to do there? I mean, that's not eight months away. We need to see the draw. I mean, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Oh, man. <laughs> I mean, he's not ranked number two or number three anymore. So, it's, it's, it's new. It's a new world. I mean, he's coming uh, so, six months removed. So, this, this is the thing, right? If he beats one of the top players, even if he plays them early, right? Assuming it's not Murray or Djokovic. The draw is back to being even in a in a in a in a way, right? If he beats say Wawrinka, he has to be somewhere in the top four to top stay four. away from the other two to Correct. the semi. So, uh, yeah, give me Raonic. <laughs> yeah, I'll take Raonic in uh, round of sixteen. What's interesting is that Rafa is also outside the top four, 
I mean, th- this could get really interesting because these these are two players that are trying to claw their way back. Yeah. And if you're a Rafa fan out there, I'm sure you're thinking along the same lines. Um, but you have something else going on. So let's talk about that. Let's talk about Rafa's big change, Sakit. Uh, bring Carlos Moya on the Yeah. Team? I mean, this is something I didn't see coming. I mean, I, I didn't think Rafa would actually ever change his coach um, from okay. Uncle Tony. That That's where I think sometimes... We have to read as fans because when the Super uh, Coaches era started in 2014, Rafa was asked numerous times and even your boy Johnny Mack uh, offered his services. And Rafa always said that it's the player, not the coach. And uh, I'm sure it's pretty tough for him to get away or break ties with his uncle who's been so instrumental. Uh, he, didn't, he didn't break ties off. Uh, no, he didn't. But Tony's... I'm saying at that time he was saying he would never consider a new voice. And now I think after two back-to-back seasons where he really... Uh, clearly had a, a, a declining uh, trajectory. So they're bringing Moya in. And uh, one of uh, my Twitter pals, Patrick, uh, said a very good thing. He says, just like having your older brother show up at the Christmas table. So with Moya, not only they get someone who grew up on the same island, who Rafa idolized, and he pretty much was a tormentor for Rafa when they won Davis Cup in 2004, have been you know very close to the camp. Plus, the added advantage is he recently coached uh, round it to a Wimbledon final so he knows the rigors of the tour he knows he also coached against Rafa as an opponent so he knows what the top men are doing and probably Moya can also maintain the distance that he won't uh, override Francisco Roig or uh, Tony Nadal in view so he could be a good addition without being a distraction I, I think this is a great move by Rafa if you ask me because if you look at all of the other players they all got some kind of a mental edge by teaming up with the super coaches. I mean, we've been talking about Becker and Joker in our last episode. Um, this, I think, is one of those things where Rafa has not tapped into that reserve. Um, Moya is a former world number one and a, and a Grand Slam champion. Uh, and as you said, he's a he's a kind of a big brother guy uh, to Rafa and he knows the game in a way that Tony doesn't. No, he does, but uh, with Nadal, he's such a unique matchup for everyone on the tour. So I think he definitely, it's pretty clear he lost a step. He wasn't the same Nadal of, like, say, up till 2013 when he was so dominant. So, I don't know, uh, does he have enough uh, variety in his game to become a Federer, to reinvent, to do serve and volley, chip and charge? What can he do to change things? Because uh, I don't think Moya can come back and just make him a step faster like he was. So I look at all his losses over the last two years. One of the things that struck me was many of his Grand Slams, they were very tough five-set losses, even where he was up two sets to love in one case. Um, the last one was against Puyi. These are the kinds of matches that Rafa should not be losing um, mentally. I think there was a lot of mental aspects to losing these five-setter matches. And for a guy who has always been seen as the toughest guy, toughest out in tennis mentally, um, I think this is where Uncle Tony was not able to give him that boost. So you're saying Rafa's problems were more mental, you didn't see any physical decline? Oh, definitely there's physical decline. But the question is, can he take it to another level over what we saw? And I think everyone will agree that 2016 was a better year than 15. And if we're going to continue to see that trajectory, uh, I think it's in the mental aspects of the game. Uh, no, I mean, sure, healthy Nadal would be a good uh, boost for uh, tennis in general because he's such a big draw and such a great champion. So that does that mean you are uh, reverting uh, from your prediction that this is Rafa's last year on the tour? Are you giving him a lifeline? I'm giving him a bit of a lifeline because of the Moya move. Because I think that that adds a new dimension. 
obviously we have to see how things play out just like we talked about Roger I mean for Rafa the I think the reckoning comes sooner with Roland Garros um he has to do well there um if he's not doing well by the middle of the year and he's got I would say a mediocre clay season I actually don't see him uh, I I see him fading out for the rest of the year so not sure you've seen Nadal's uh, schedule for 2017 uh he's skipping everything on the grass uh, season uh, from Roland Garros he's going directly to Wimbledon that's a smart move it is right he's not going for Halle and Stuttgart anymore which is uh, which stood out as a change and he's playing a full clay schedule yeah and i i think that's where really he's going to start to see his results um but but let's not diminish the importance of the the masters series right i mean rafa was also deadly in the best of 3 tournaments in the past um and i i i think that a huge number of these tournaments are played on clay and we could see rafa coming away with a very successful year but still not breaking through at a slam first things first let's see how he does in the first few months with moya uh, how much time would we give him to to kind of get him you know give him a fair run uh, i'm talking about carlos moya i mean would it be 3 months before we started judging him on his coaching I mean, we'll judge him look if nadal wins uh, doha or he goes deep in australia you know that's how that's what the nature has become nobody is uh, judging anyone for the process we just want to give people results like even for raunich we credit everything for to moya nobody talks prt nobody talks lubicic the work they did in the off season or the previous year same for federer everybody everything is about edberg not about luthi i mean that's the era we live in uh, so here's how i'm going to judge moya the next time rafa is in a five setter he he should be winning it he should be winning that fifth set easily uh, that's the point where he starts to dominate I think he brought in Moya so that he doesn't go five. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's bad enough but but I mean the kind of game a traditional game that Rafa has you're likely to see those five setters every now and then at this stage of his career. Um and I I mean it would be I I guess awesome for him that if he if he didn't get to five but I'd like to see him pull those out. I mean that's when I know he's back. Okay, I still thought like when we discussed Nadal in few uh, episodes ago I think there's more uh, tennis left in him and I still see him competing at the top for a few years. Will that fetch him number 13? That's uh, that's why they're all playing for. I mean that's that's a tough one with especially if Djokovic rediscovers because that's uh, more than Federer Djokovic become a matchup in hell for Nadal if he rediscovers his uh, 2016 uh till French Open form if he's back he again becomes a man to beat i think we're all praying pretty much for djokovic to not come back the way he hey, was we have playing. some djokovic fans i'm sure some are listening this cannot be <laughs> a fans podcast are we praying against djokovic <laughs> no but my point is that that is really what it is right if djokovic even plays close to the level he was playing we're not having this conversation about roger or rafa okay so i met usman during uh, this holiday season and uh, he's he was telling me that uh, we are not giving him any credit by the way usman is someone we discuss uh, tennis on a regular basis uh, in emails so usman said djokovic decline would start soon after 29th birthday and uh, we have to dig that email but he's holding us to that and he thinks djokovic at best wins two more slams and he thinks murray's decline could start any minute now and he's giving one slam to roger and none to rafa So who else is out there winning slams because I don't see Kyrgios or Zverev. No, if this up. guy start losing then you can have those chillage like moments before Zverev takes control and I mean hey don't discount Nick. Nick still has a game to beat anyone on a given day. Usman I've got your medal waiting for you. I had to hand <laughs> it over but honestly buddy it's a little early right now. Uh I think we're going to see the year play out. 
But yeah. did you see Djokovic losing last two uh, majors? Then uh, how is it too early? Anything can happen. It just he did, but quickly. let's not forget he made the final of that major before he lost. And yeah. so, I, I I mean, as much as we like to see hey, that... Wendell has played 19 finals, lost 11 major finals. Nobody talks about that. It's only the <laughs> eight he won, we remember. I'm, I'm just <laughs> saying, for a guy who made uh, the final in his last major, and he's going to go into the Australian Open as a defending champion how many times? Um, I mean, six times. No, he Wawrinka won in 14, but he's two-time defending champion. He's a two-time defending champ. Um I'm not. I'm not ready to sign on that epitaph already. Sir Andy Murray is gonna have something to say about. It. I think he wins Melbourne, and uh, that's when I think his decline starts. I think Murray is still. I think this season hasn't ended for Andy, and uh, Lendl probably is too smart to sense change in Djokovic camp. So I'm sure they're like all geared up for this. Uh, so this is very interesting. So when we talk about Roger and we talk about Rafa. What we hope for is, let's hope this guy doesn't play a joker anytime early in the tournament. But I mean, we don't say this about Murray, right? Because Murray is more of a contemporary to Djokovic, even though Djokovic has beat him so many times. Nadal is also the same age, but has more miles. And and Roger is like, what, five, six years older than this guy. So he's played many generations. So Djokovic, believe me, will have that moment when Zverev is peaking. And then somewhere, a Djokovic fan would be hoping, hey, if, as long as Zverev loses, Djokovic can probably get to that whatever slam. So that's that's a cycle. I mean, it's not Andy Murray is better than Roger and Rafa. It's just they are in different times of their careers. Federer is like what thirteen hundred matches played. Yeah, so, no, I I agree. I mean, there's there's a lot more miles with Roger. Um, question is, is Murray a more dangerous opponent to Roger than Joker early in the tournament? I actually think Joker still is the guy to beat for these guys for Rafa and Roger. I mean, Murray and Wawrinka are two guys right now who can go toe-to-toe with Djokovic on certain surfaces physically. Uh, they have become... Uh, Murray has become a beast. He's become like, you know, he just was trailing Djokovic and Djokovic is such a moving target. So Andy just improved. And too bad we did not see the peak of Djokovic collide with this resurgence of Andy Murray. So Djokovic clearly the more dangerous and more complete player. But I think uh, Andy still uh, can pose that physical edge if the match goes deep, and Wawrinka, we all know, the longer the match goes, uh, Wawrinka, you know, is as good as anyone. Yeah, this is true. I mean, I'm just looking at the head-to-head um, here between Roger and Andy. And for the last five matches, Andy hasn't even come close to winning a match. I mean, he's actually not even come close to winning a set against Roger in recent times. So there's there's this mental thing. I understand Roger went away. But when he comes back and he plays a guy like Murray in the third round at the but, Australian... And a lot of those wins uh, against Murray came in end of... Uh, after 2013, Murray had the back surgery. Right. And then Federer was also coming back from his worst season. But a lot of those matches happened. I'm not uh, saying that Murray is a lock to beat Roger every time. But this Murray of 2016, the way he ended, I think he's become a machine. He's not losing matches. This guy is just like... I mean, we did an episode. Why don't we go back and listen to it? I mean... How, how good Murray's become. Yeah, no, he is good. I mean, there's no doubt. But I still think mentally, Roger and Rafa would favor their chances more against this Murray than even this Joker. Because Roger this Joker... Would, I, I don't know how Nadal would fancy his chances against Murray at US Open or Wimbledon. Wimbledon, probably Well, first not. half of the year. Australian and the French. Definitely. French, yeah. Nadal, you have to put him in the conversation as long as he's active in the draw. That's how that's, he's earned that. But I think yeah, Roger has too much of a game plan and too much variety, and he can challenge Murray, can get him out of his comfort zone and just give him different looks. But uh, this Murray, I think, with, with Djokovic, is a co-favorite 
for the first few months. Oh, he has to be the co-favorite for this lamb. I, I'm so, I mean, I think you bring up a really good point, uh, which is it really, a lot of this comes down to how does the draw play out? Uh, if Roger shows up and plays a guy like Mario or Joker, I mean, that match could go any which way. I mean, depending on how fit Roger is and how much tuned in, say, a guy like Joker is, um, things could rapidly change if they have an early tournament, um, you know. Early match, which would be a fourth round clash as early if uh, Federer doesn't drop out of uh, top 16. Anyway, another topic I wanted to discuss was when we were when talking about Rinka. Wawrinka is such a great five-set player and he's pretty much, you know, the opposite in best-of-three format because uh, by the time he's warmed up, he's shaking hands or the match is over. Or uh, yeah, or, or he's getting abused by, by the player across the net. <laughs> no, but what do you think of this uh, fast-four tennis? Uh, I don't know if you followed. I think it's a joke. Uh, they're trying to... Uh, tennis Australia is proposing this an equivalent of... or inspired from T20 IPL cricket format where... Three all gets you a tie break and first two f- win four games, wins a set. What do you think of this format? You know, the thing is I'm afraid to say anything is a joke these days because when I think something's a joke, that actually happens. Um, whether it's um, cricket, uh, where IPL is actually yeah, but do you think off. tennis is broken? Do you think we need this of a fix? Why, why do we need this? Then a guy like Wawrinka would be gone if we're playing four games. I think like all sports, <laughs> they're trying to cater to that wider audience. Um, and a lot of people are tuning out uh, in the best of five matches and Grand Slams. Are you tuning out? Well, you and I, we've been watching tennis for 30 years. But I'm talking about a casual fan trying to bring them in, into the sport. I think it's a pretty neat idea. Uh, I, I don't think. I think the only legit argument sometimes is when uh, they're catering to a TV market, especially the United States. And if someone is uh, desperately wanting to see Serena Williams play Sharapova and before that Luka Pui and Nadal go like five hours. Yeah, that way the timeline is not decided, but that's the beauty of tennis. I don't see this creeping into Grand Slams. So let, let me be clear about that. I think what's... But that's how the cancer starts. I mean, we have to stop it. <laughs> they might coexist, but the three-set match is the one that might get killed, right? So this happened... No, a lot of people are also saying make Grand Slams best of three sets. There is, Nadal was very vocal about it because five sets has so much history and uh, it's again, uh, it, it may just bring in more upsets, but I'm more for five sets because... Uh, I'm with you on Grand Slams. I, I think the drama and I mean, some of the greatest matches we've seen are the big five setters and I think it tests a whole different set of skills um, when it comes, when it you does. know, when you're playing a best of five. But the question is, can the fast forward replace the three setters? I, I don't think there's any need because then the quality would be compromised. Don't you think if uh, someone can just hold three uh, service games and then knock out, you know, whoever, whoever the better player is, that's kind of doing some injustice because uh, the game has the game has champions that have gone through such rigor, turmoil to win these uh, major matches and then all of a sudden you're playing like reduced tennis. I think it might bring out the big servers, the big Karloviches, make them no, more but dangerous. Then again, the, again, thanks for bringing that up. Then let's, uh, the tennis establishment should look into this and increase the court speed because I know we went away from the court speed being too fast uh, in late 90s and early 2000s. Maybe that's the time. So a guy like Nishikori will have something left if he spends five hours because Nishikori sometimes is going in these matches where he's winning. He's trying to win a point five, six times before he wins a point. So that's because the surfaces are so homogenized. Again, I know this is a segue into totally yeah, but direction. but but the thing is again tomorrow today's experiments are I guess tomorrow's uh, you know normal normal 
whatever is normal. And I, I think that's probably what's happening with Fast 4. It, we may not end up with a Fast 4 in, in, say, 10 or 15 years, but we may end up with a significantly shortened format. But, but again, Anand, I'm, call me a little old school. What's the need? I mean, are we too desperate? We saw what life was without Federer for the last five months. That day will come one day, and uh, it happened with Sampras left, Agassi left, and Becker left. And there was a time, even for me, I was following tennis and I was a Marcelo Rios fan and Patrick Rafter fan. I wasn't is, following. Is, is the overall global audience for tennis, are they becoming less patient in this era? Do they want to watch match matches on their mobile phones? Um, do they, I mean, do they just not have the time to watch it on TV, uh, dedicate three or four hours? I mean, th- these are the things that, that are going to determine ultimately, I think, where the sport's heading, right? No, I mean, are the ratings going down? That's something could be a cause. But again, to me, when sport... Uh, starts becoming more of a business, it loses some of its character, some of its appeal. I have a whole group of friends. I remember when the rackets turned from wooden to all the new materials, uh, you know, starting with steel and then composites and so on. They hated every every bit of it uh, because they said that was ruining the game. What was the need to do this? There was so much more skill involved when you're playing with those wooden rackets. I mean... But then eventually you no, but have they didn't players like the scoring Rod. format, right? It was still different two kind of innovation. Two. Different kind of innovation. My point is that then the format took its course, right? I mean, uh, but you look at the tennis rackets. You had a guy like Pete Sampras. Then more skillful players came along, uh, like Roger. And then you start to see you're comfortable with those new rackets. We are not talking rackets anymore, like well, no, we were talking it's, it's, say, no, in the it's, late it's 80s. It's more about strengths. I mean, I don't know if you uh, tried the polyester, right? Uh, and and, and that's my point. It's it's even all, a schmuck like me. Sometimes I hit a slice like I don't uh, I don't have any feel. And my point the is does does it for me. My point is is this a part of evolution? Just as we have evolution in rackets and strings, is it an evolution in scoring formats that makes the game move in a certain direction? No, but and, again, I don't know how much of an audience is cricket. I would like to say, but. Uh, even look at T20 and all this uh, new generation of uh, batsmen. The grounds, uh, the outfields are faster, bats are bigger. It, it, it is no need. It's, uh, there is no way to say that these guys are more skilled than the yesteryear players. Look at Borg. I mean, he won Wimbledon French Open and even the rackets became so friendly. No one has even come close to play five finals Wimbledon. So I, when I look at tennis and I watch the McEnroe-Borg final in 1980, and then I watched the Rafa Roger final in 2008. It almost looks like there were two different sports being played, but both were incredibly fun and engaging to watch. Now, the question is in 20 years, we're watching a fast four match, right? Between whoever the top two players are. No, no, it's again, it's a different comparison. When you're watching Borg play McEnroe, they both were very good grass court players, and the grass was far, fast. Uh, balls were lighter, rackets were wooden. It was hard to generate power, but they were dominating that. Again, with all due respect to Nadal and Djokovic, uh, I don't know how many of these guys would win Wimbledon as many times they have won if they were playing with smaller rackets like a Federal racket of... Uh, but that's not what I'm saying. What I'm saying is independently, you are able to enjoy no, each of these matches no, no, for their own merit, right? It is, but at the same time, my argument is if you're homogenizing uh, playing surfaces, then it's becoming like... It's, it's the same thing. It's the same two guys. That's what Marat Safin said. Oh, I think we agree on surfaces. I'm not even going to surfaces. My point is, if you change the format of the sport, right, you go from best of five to fast four, right? Yes, there's going to be this, I think, this period where we are going to be very uncomfortable with this. 
But my sense is players will adapt their styles. No, players the will game, adapt because the establishment is going for something because they're catering to TV and it's about business. And I you might it. actually see those styles creep back in into the best five no. matches in Grand Slams. And that might be fun. So, too. all the five seven matches you like, imagine the Federer against uh, Alejandro Faya. The match would be over if it was like 3-all. Uh, Federer is losing 4-3, 4-3, I mean, imagine that. Scoreline, 2010 Wimbledon first round. But, I mean... That's, that's compromising and Faya probably losing next round. So, I, my, my... And the guy beating Faya in second round losing next round. <laughs> 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 no, my, my, my sense is this, right? You keep both, right? And, and you have the slams... Continue to have their traditional format. Experiment outside the slams. Maybe you hit upon something that, that's also very enjoyable. But we don't know what that is. Okay. Maybe it's team tennis. Maybe it's fast four. Maybe it's something else. But we, we, we just need to keep experimenting. Okay, I'll say it this time. I don't agree. And this time it's not with respect. No respectful agreement in this one. <laughs> Let's move on. Yeah. Jeez. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a good time to end this uh, contentious podcast, don't you say? With no respect for each other. Yeah, there's some respect still, so uh, we have to do another podcast. Anyway, thanks for everyone who's been listening uh, since uh, I've been trying to promote my podcast on Twitter and I'm such a nobody out there. So big thanks to Nakul, Florian, and everyone else who's been uh, retweeting my tweets and uh, trying to reach a bigger audience. Anand, you should be on Twitter just for tennis. It's a whole different army of tennis fans. It's like reading a newspaper of tennis, which has tabloid tennis, serious tennis, and uh, fan worship tennis. I think you've just motivated me to do something I haven't done in 10 years. And yeah, that'll be good. And last but not least, Anand's sister Prabha has been a very vocal fan who's been just keeping us honest with her detailed feedback. So yeah, thanks everyone and happy new year. And let's record one more episode soon. Go Fed. Go Roger. Happy New Year, guys.